Today from the Global Lane, life in the Laogai, China's detention camps and the torture endured by ethnic Uyghurs. In order to keep you awake, they will shock you with um, a me metal kind of um, bat. Proposing gun bans to reduce unrelenting crime. Forgetting the Second Amendment? The Founding Fathers talk about a right to keep and bear arms. They understood arms to be handguns, to be long rifles, and contrary to what Biden says, to be cannons. Standing up to woke women's sports. A former collegiate swimmer shares the science. The bottom line is this. Women are getting hurt when men have to compete in women's sports. And skyrocketing gasoline and grocery costs, putting the blame on Putin. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. Surviving the re-education camps. In recent years, we've told you how communist China has abducted, imprisoned, and tortured as many as three million ethnic Uyghurs from Xinjiang province. The U.S. government and some other countries call it genocide. Now, for the first time, a Christian survivor of China's camps, a Kyrgyz ethnic, is revealing details about what is happening inside. Ovalbeck Turtakun spent 10 months inside the Laogai, a re-education through labor camp in Xinjiang province. Ovalbeck, his wife and son, arrived in the U.S. only two months ago. He joins us now speaking through an interpreter to share his incredible story. Ovalbeck, uh, you revealed that there were a number of tiny padded rooms of the camp. Only one prisoner at a time could fit into them. Each room had a steel tiger chair in the center. Explain what happened to you and others in those rooms. In the um, prison cell that he was at, where he was kept, um, he could see there was like a roll of tiger chairs, um, and there are no windows, and there are no lights, um, and that is the condition that um, he was kept in. The hands and his feet um, will be bound to the tiger chair, and the tiger chair is made of metal and steel, so it is really just rigid. Um, and the room where the tiger chairs are located is completely dark, so if you're there for an extended period of time, you would not be able to know what time it is. Um, sometimes you are allowed to sleep, um, but sometimes you're not. And in order to keep you awake, they will shock you with um, a metal kind of ba um, bat um, in order to make you stay awake. And Ovalbeck, you tell of your heavily guarded prison cell, a small room packed with 23 people and a bathroom inside with cameras on the walls. You mentioned that you had only one long bed in that cell and it had to be shared. You talk about a television on the wall that played continually. Tell us more about what was streaming on the TV. The TV will um, display or play things like the Red Song um, or videos that were made by the Chinese government regarding Islam and regarding terrorists and terrorist activities um, and or things that they need to be quote unquote educated on will be will also be displayed on the TV. Tell us about the drugs and the injections that you were given. What effect did they have? Some of them were perhaps came in with pre-existing conditions, but the majority of them that got sick, they were of different ages, um, and some symptoms they had where they were unable to walk, um, there were numbness in their hands and feet, um, fainting, or not not having the ability to puke, um, even though you are feeling, you know, un un nauseous. Tell me, how did your Christian faith, being a follower of Christ, uh, get you through this ordeal? What difference did that make? 
As a Christian, um, there is a huge reliance on God um, and with his faith in him, um, and as well as, you know, daily prayers and um, uplifting um, his troubles and his fears to God. Um, that's something that got him through his experience in prison. Did you meet other followers of Jesus in the prison? What can you tell us about other Christians being held? Within the 23 of them, um, he was the only Christian, but um, he ha is aware that or has heard that there are other Christians um, being held in prison as well. Finally, Ovalbeck, uh, what should be done about these camps and just how safe are you and your family now here in the USA? He says that he does feel really safe here in the U.S. Um, and that he is really um, glad that he's able to have the liberty and freedom and experience that and enjoy that in the U.S. Um, in regards to what um, needs to be done, he, on his personal part, he's just going to keep um, firmly pray for China as well for um, as well as for those that are being kept in prison um, and for, you know, the um, oppression that they're facing and to just really keep them in um, his prayers. Okay, Ovalbeck Tradakun, thank you for sharing with us. We appreciate it. God bless you. Um, and to you as well, and uh, may God bless you as well. Congress is finalizing some common-sense steps which many people believe will help reduce unrelenting gun violence in America. This week, victims of the Uvalde and Buffalo mass shootings shared their stories on Capitol Hill as lawmakers debated gun control efforts. Even actor Matthew McConaughey, born and raised in Uvalde, shared his thoughts at a White House press briefing. We need responsible gun ownership. Responsible gun ownership. We need background checks. We need to raise the minimum age to purchase an AR-15 rifle to 21. But would these steps, including the possible banning of assault weapons and high-capacity magazines, violate Second Amendment rights? Here to weigh in is constitutional lawyer, former Reagan administration official, Attorney Jonathan Emord. Jonathan, it's good to talk with you. In his speech to the nation last week, President Biden said, quote, the Second Amendment, like all other rights, is not absolute. The president quoted the late Justice Antonin Scalia, saying, like most rights, rights granted by the Second Amendment are not unlimited. Your thoughts on that one? Well, the Second Amendment to the Constitution very clearly creates an individual right to keep and bear arms, as the court found, Supreme Court found in the Heller decision in 2008. Uh, but it really means something so much more, and it's missed in this whole debate. When you take a look at what the Founding Fathers were trying to do, they were trying to protect individual sovereignty, our ability to protect our rights to life, liberty, and property, to protect a free state, as the First uh, Second Amendment says. It's important for us to understand that the Founding Fathers did not conflate this issue of law enforcement, that is, action against crime, and the right to bear arms. They understood that the both could coexist. That's something that this administration doesn't understand. And it's a fatal mistake, because if you ban weapons, you simply make it impossible for the law-abiding to defend themselves, because those who are committing crimes already violate the law and certainly would not 
give up their arms or accept any restriction on their ability to use arms in, in the commission of crimes. And all these things would do is make it more difficult for people in the inner cities to defend themselves against rampant crime at a time when Democrats are pushing an agenda that involves defunding the police and a massive increase in criminal activity because they won't prosecute crime. So the Soros-backed DAs will clap to the hills if, they, if these measures are passed because it means less ability for individuals to defend themselves against crime. Well, we saw what happened in San Francisco with the DA there. There was a recall that was successful, so maybe they're uh, going to be under fire. It looks like we'll end up with a new law, probably, that expands background checks, red flag laws, mental health services, beefed up security measures uh, for our schools. Your thoughts on those measures? These things are very dangerous because they intrude upon individuals' rights without due process of law. We're all entitled to a presumption of innocence. And under the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, there must be due process before our rights to life, liberty, and property are taken away. Before you can take away someone's right to a weapon, you have to prove that the, those individuals are in violation of the law. And to otherwise create a prior restraint that blocks the law abiding from having a weapon on various pretexts is not a good idea. In fact, it violates our rights and it should be viewed as such. It's a gross infringement on our individual rights. As long as you're with us, I've got to ask you about uh, the arrest last week of former Trump advisor Peter Navarro. Now, he was cuffed, placed in leg irons at Reagan National Airport after refusing to comply with a congressional subpoena. And he claims the January 6th commission has no prosecutorial authority. That's up to the judiciary. And then Harvard Law Professor Alan Dershowitz says Navarro's indictment is unconstitutional because his claim of executive privilege should have been decided by courts before any indictment. So was Navarro's arrest political and unconstitutional? Were his rights violated? What do you think? Political and clearly his rights were violated and the January 6th committee is clearly an unlawful committee. He's right. It is attempting to usurp the executive power uh, by Congress in this instance. And it has no such power. It can't proceed in this way. The fact that the Justice Department acted without first going to court is a travesty. And it shows just how far the Attorney General was willing to go in pursuit of the political objectives of this administration against the prior administration. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a travesty of justice without question. Well, you worked in the Reagan administration. Politics were a lot different back then. They were more civil. Reagan would fight political battles with Democrat House Speaker Tip O'Neill during the day and then share a beer with him at night. So are we now in an era when we use government to prosecute our political opponents? If so, how do we get beyond that? We are in an environment of unequal justice where the Democrats seem to be able to get away with all sorts of heinous crimes not least of which is the influence peddling that Joe Biden experienced as vice president and now indeed as president, with Hunter Biden continuing to be a patsy for the communist Chinese and to receive money for it. It is a, it is a, a, a situation that is unprecedented. They have become overtly socialist. And while that has been an agenda in the administrative state, perhaps since all the way back to the 1880s, uh, it is nevertheless the case now that Pelosi, Schumer, and Biden have passed the proverbial Rubicon and have become overtly socialist 
and pursue a end of socialism regardless of the means, it's pursuing means that are really unlawful. This is something the Reagan people would never have countenanced. They would never have pursued a conservative agenda if it was unlawful. They honored court orders. They didn't disobey them. You did not see rife use of executive uh, powers uh, in a way that would create uh, orders from the executive that violated the rights of or violated the separation of powers and encroached on the legislative power to make law. Uh, Joe Biden does that with impunity. Uh, and as far as civility goes, I mean, the Reagan people were really the utmost uh, in observing civility, as you pointed out with Reagan setting the example with his interactions with Tip O'Neill. Um, there's no need for this personal uh, ruinous vendetta that they're pursuing against people who are their political opponents, yet that is Pelosi's characteristic hallmark of action and has become the way in which the far left of the Democrat Party ordinarily operates. Thank you, Jonathan, for sharing those insights. We appreciate it. You're quite welcome. Leah Thomas, the first openly trans athlete to win an NCAA Division I championship title, is speaking out about transsexuals competing in women's sports. During a recent interview with Good Morning America, Thomas said she was miserable competing in male sports and said she, quote, doesn't need anyone's permission to be herself and to do the sports she loves. You can't go halfway and be like, I support trans women and trans people, but only, only to a certain point, where if you support trans women as women and they've met all the all the NCA requirements and then I don't know if you can really say something like that. Trans women are not a threat to women's sports. Some biological female collegiate athletes disagree, saying despite hormone replacement therapy, biological males have an unfair advantage when they compete in women's sports. Well here to set us straight is former collegiate swimmer Alexa Schwera, a reporter for Campus Reform. Hi, Alexa. So you were a member of which college swim team? What was your experience there? And did you compete against any biological men? So I competed in a Division II collegiate swim team at Notre Dame College my freshman year. And luckily, I did not compete against any men. The competition was fair. I was able to compete against women, and that's how it should be. Well, are there only a few trans athletes competing here and there? Just how widespread is this trend in collegiate sports? You know, at the moment, it's still pretty low, only a few athletes here and there, but one is still too many because the bottom line is this. Women are getting hurt when men have to compete in women's sports. When men are allowed to compete, women have to make up for some biological advantage that they simply just can't make up. This is coming down to science and fact. So really, this conversation has to be returned to the root of the issue, which is protecting and demanding fairness in women's sports. Well, I want to get to that again in a moment, but what is the prevailing attitude on America's college campuses? So what are the students that you've talked to saying? So here at the Leadership Institute's Campus Reform, we were able to go down to Georgia Tech the week of the NCAA Women's Swimming Championships, and campus was pretty divided. But the interesting thing to note is that the students that were standing up and saying that this is wrong, men should not be allowed to compete in women's sports, it was the student athletes that were saying that, the students who actually had a stake in the game. And that's because athletes know the hard work and the determination that goes into competing at such a high level. So while it is kind of divided among the student body, 
study, more and more students are speaking up and they're demanding action as well. And we're seeing this play out across the country as 18 states have responded to these constituent calls and they're putting laws on the books that ban men from women's sports. Alexa, why do you think it's divided on campus? You say there's a different view from, from the athletes uh, and those who are not athletes, but why do you, why do you think it's divided? Frankly, I think it's a shift in the culture, and I think it's a shift in the general worldview that is being perpetuated to students. And this is something that we see here time and time again at the Leadership Institute's campus reform. We've been reporting on instances of leftist indoctrination and liberal bias for a decade, and we always say that what happens on a college campus becomes mainstream within society. So when you have these professors that are continuously spouting left-wing ideology in the classroom, these students are taken to that and believing this nonsense, but this has real-time consequences. Now, because this radical gender theory is so pervasive in our culture, we're seeing actual women be hurt and discriminated against. And if more people don't stand up and call this for what it is, which is nonsense, then we're going to witness the death of women's sports and the death of women's opportunities in general. And as you mentioned earlier, science shows that biological males have a physical advantage over women with strength, endurance, speed, etc. So why aren't more female athletes speaking out against this unfair advantage? We're not hearing as much from them. Uh, saying the trans men uh, have an advantage in competing against them. Frankly, women are afraid to speak up. You know, you come out and you say that you're against this, you're labeled as transphobic, you're labeled as all these negative things that, frankly, women don't want to be labeled as, but that's not the root of the issue here. More people need to see this for what it is, which is standing up for fact and truth, because facts can be very, very stubborn things. I realize that, but it can't come second place to reality. Because when we ignore the science that tells us that there is a biological advantage between men and women, it's women who are being put on the line and actively discriminated against. This issue goes all the way down to chromosomes. It comes down to DNA. And no amount of hormone replacements or no amount of suppression is going to take away this advantage that makes men have a physical advantage. They're taller than women. They have a larger wingspan, a larger lung capacity, greater fast twitch muscles. And this gives them a significant athletic advantage. And in a sport like swimming, a difference between a win and a loss often comes down to a tenth of a second. And what do those students say to you when you point that out to them, those who support this? What do they say when you point out the science? Well, a lot of them are enlightened, and that's the most uplifting thing, is that we need to have more of these conversations, pointing out the facts and getting away from such emotional arguments. This conversation has to be rooted in facts. It has to be rooted in science. And when you speak truth, people are willing to listen. Okay, 18 states have now come out against this, passed legislation opposing... Uh, trans athletes in women's sports. So we'll see what happens. Campus Reform reporter Alexa Schwera, thanks for setting us straight today. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Polls show inflation is the top concern for Americans. President Biden says bringing it under control is his priority. My plan is to address inflation. It starts with a simple proposition. Respect the Fed. But, Mr. President, the Federal Reserve helped to create this problem. It has embraced modern monetary theory, which says you can print and spend as much money as you like without consequences. Now all Americans are seeing there are consequences to that failed theory and policy. I'm not an economist, but I learned in college that when there's an overabundance of a given product, that product has less value. In this case, there's an overabundance of money in our economy. Want to buy a home? How about a low-rate mortgage? Keep the money flowing because every American has the right to own a home, right? War in Ukraine. Just print more money. 
$54 billion worth for weapons and other aid. COVID relief, just print more money, about $14 trillion worth. Huge jumps in the minimum wage in many states have had a trickle-up effect. When Amazon raised the pay of entry workers to $18 per hour, other employees who made less demanded raises. And we wonder why the company raised the cost of Amazon Prime from $12.99 to $14.99 per month. Amazon blamed the price hike on salary increases and higher transportation costs. Americans are now paying $700 million more each day for gasoline compared to one year ago. President Biden blames Vladimir Putin and the war in Ukraine for the jump in prices, but actually the cost of gasoline started going up before Russia invaded Ukraine on February 21st.